Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait. Where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates. Zero Blackout Dates. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Nothing, nothing really and truly all day long like 7-Eleven. Do they go back to like the 1300s when people just drank wine instead of water? I was involved in a bar brawl when I worked at a bar. We were ransacked by the crowd. Would you want to know what's wrong with a plane or just remain ignorant? I, I have no desire to go to jail in Colombia. What's up, everyone? You're listening to a landmark episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. I'm Tim. And we're coming at you for not the first time, not the second time. Not the third time. Should I keep going, Tim? Not even the 39th time. That's right. It is our 40th episode, people. 40, 40. And we're celebrating the fact that we've been able to somehow get 40 people, more or less, to actually talk to us. Pretty mind-blowing stuff. You might think that it's a weird way to celebrate, but we're marking the occasion by actually not talking to anyone today <laughs> except ourselves. Um we did something similar for our 20th episode, sourcing questions from listeners and then devoting the entire episode to discussing them. And you guys seem to enjoy that. So we're doing it again. We asked people to submit their craziest, funniest, strangest travel stories. And we'll be reading a select few on the show today, followed by some brief discussion and scathing analysis. Yeah, that's right. And if you're a longtime listener of No Blackout Dates, which means you've been listening to us for more than two months you might remember that we used to do a, a listener story at the end of our interviews and uh, kind of discuss it with the guests. And it was something we kind of missed. So we figured we'd bring that back. Uh, we're always asking questions of people. This time we figured we're going to dive full on into just analysis and see what kind of nonsense we can pick out. And that was way back in the bronze age of no blackout dates for, you, for the few of you OGs who remember that. But over the over the months, we've gotten a lot of people saying like, hey, you guys like, I have a crazy travel story. Like you ever want to, you know, talk about it on the show? And we're like, ah, we're not really doing the stories anymore. So we figured we might as well bring it all back for one episode, a little nostalgia. I mean, before we get into that, let's talk about the first nine months of the show, Tim. I mean, I've learned a lot about you. I'm sure you've learned more than you ever cared to know about me. And hopefully we all learned a little something about travel. Yeah, it's been an interesting run here. I feel like of all the colleagues I've ever had in my professional life now Evan I know you better than any of the other ones that I've ever had nice yeah and love it what I think has been like the overarching takeaway of every episode so far is that travel really plays like an integral role in life whether or not you're traveling for personal pleasure business family whatever the reasons are everybody has a reason that they enjoy experiencing new things and it's been really cool to hear people's stories and people's reasons behind why they're getting out there. Exactly. To be honest, we started this podcast during the heart of the pandemic last October. And I was thinking, ah, are we even going to be able to get people to talk to us about travel? No one's traveling. We're not traveling. We haven't taken any huge trips and you know, since we started the podcast, honestly. And what I realized is that, you know, travel doesn't just mean hopping on a plane and going to Europe. It's it touches every aspect of life, a ton of different industries. We've had astronauts, we've had sex workers, it just such a broad swath of people and characters. And it's just been fascinating to get into it and to get to know 
you better, Tim, especially. And I thought, and I thought I knew you as well as I possibly could. And yet here today you show up and you're not even wearing your Burton hat. I know. I know. I thought I'd throw you through a loop. I just shaved my head last night or maybe it was two days ago. So I figured I'd come with the baldness today. Yeah. It's, I I don't know. It's like looking at the sun. I can't even look at you. So yeah, we've lived, we've learned, we've loved, and we've got some really exciting news coming in the next few weeks that we can't wait to share with you guys. But before all of that, let's get into our listener submitted stories for episode number 40. This story took place in, uh, in Colombia. I was in Colombia with some friends on a backpacking trip. On the last night of the trip, we foolishly wanted to buy some cocaine, and we went about it in an even more foolish manner. In Medellin, walking through the Poblado area, many men will approach you knowing that you're a tourist and ask you if you want to buy blow while you're walking down the street. There were four of us walking together, and we foolishly accepted an offer because we didn't know how else to score. The guy says he needs us to meet him in his office, which in itself was kind of weird, but it was right behind the building where we met him in this little back door. So we go in there with him. A few minutes pass. We're chatting and negotiating a price. Then three other guys come in out of nowhere, wearing button-down Hawaiian-style shirts and looking relatively formal. Now the guy we'd been dealing with gets serious, and he butts out this badge and says, this is a sting. You are under arrest. I'm going to pause right there to say that I would probably have a heart attack in that moment. I, I have no desire to go to jail in Colombia. Is that like the, the uniform for cocaine dealers? Guys with Hawaiian shirts? If I'm in Colombia and a guy with a Hawaiian shirt, like loitering on the side of the road, I'm going to immediately think that guy sells coke. Is that not is that not reasonable? I think it is reasonable. I mean, and if you've ever seen the movie Blow or really any movie about drug culture, like those kind of island shirts are super prevalent. It always seems like they're there. All right. Well, let's 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 get into the rest of the story. Yeah, getting back into the story here. My other friend decides to start negotiating with the guy, thinking he can buy our way out of this. This guy actually starts negotiating back. This is clearly exactly what he wanted, and he starts asking for something ridiculous like $2,000 for the four of us to go. We all agree that we don't have it on us, but can figure out how to get it if he gives us a chance. So they allow my buddy to leave to go to an ATM. A few minutes later, he comes back empty-handed. The ATM wouldn't dispense any money. I guess that's what happens when you have a, a U.S. debit card. They're not going to let you pull out thousands of dollars. Uh, I was about to go into a full-on panic attack. Then one of, the guy, one of the guard's girlfriends or wives comes in the door and starts yelling at him out of nowhere, and he ends up leaving with her. The other guy that was standing next to him is just standing there on his phone. And the original guy we've been dealing with the entire time hasn't really been able to maintain a consistent stance or voice. I catch a closer look at his badge and notice that it's totally fake. When the other guy and his girlfriend left, no one ever bothered to close the door. I look at my friends and I make this little head move towards the door, kind of catch their glances, and we all decided to stand up and book it. The guys that got us in the room didn't even chase after us. And after talking to some people back at the hostel later on, it turns out these are common extortion schemes run by drug dealers to get a bunch of money out of tourists without ever even giving them any drugs. So would you say that a crazy girlfriend saved the day? Absolutely. I mean, that seems to be 
you know, just with a once over read of this, that is the tipping point where they started to realize that the situation was ridiculous. Cause obviously if they were really under arrest, they were really in an official setting, you know, some random pedestrian isn't going to just be able to barge into the room where this is happening. A typical vacation girlfriend shows up, starts screaming. You're like, Oh, great. This is a trip ruiner. Not in this case, this guy, like, do <laughs> you think she was pissed at him for running a scheme to entrap tourists and like a cocaine, uh, like scam or do you think she was pissed about something else do you think he told her yeah i'm just going to my day job i'm an accountant and then she followed him here and she's like when well, you're not an accountant dude you actually like scam tourists for for blow right or is she like you forgot to take the dog out today i'm gonna, I'm gonna like track you down and scream at you i'm guessing we'll never know the answer to that question because that conversation obviously was happening in spanish and yet tim you've been taking spanish for months now and should be fluent yeah, well, send me the transcript of what this girl was yelling at her boyfriend, and maybe I'll figure it out. Okay. But, uh, what is Tim? What is Tim in Spanish? Like, what's the Tim, what's the Spanish version of Tim? Timoteo. Timoteo. Yeah, I never heard that that name in Spanish. It's not a common name in Spanish as it is in English. It's funny. When I was in high school, I took Spanish, and that was my name in the Spanish class. Mm-hmm. And the class was, you know, right after lunch, so I'd go in there and not always be paying the most attention. And the, the professor, like, he was one of those talkers or teachers that would just, like, call people randomly. You know, it wasn't like a hand-raising situation. So every time he called mm-hmm. me randomly, he'd be like, Demoteo! And I would never have any idea what the hell was going on. That's a that's honestly a pretty sick name. Just really flows off the tongue. Like, you can inject some personality into it easily. Timoteo. Love it. Timoteo Winger. That's right. Winger is never going to sound Spanish in any way, but... No. Okay, well, I have a story to follow that, Tim. This one's from Kelsey. She says, I was doing a summer school program abroad in Galway, Ireland, and the whole group rented tandem bikes on the Aran Islands. The idea was to ride to a restaurant that was located inside a castle. It was all uphill on an incredibly hot day, probably three hours there and back. We were so thirsty and the prospect of getting to the restaurant for food and water was the only thing really keeping us going. We finally arrived to learn that not only is the restaurant out of water, but the entire island is out of water. No tap or bottles. On the way back, two girls on the trip had to stop and puke like three times, and one passed out. Jeez. Imagine scheduling that kind of activity I'm assuming it was organized by like the, the program. Scheduling that kind of activity without knowing about the water shortage. That's just criminal negligence, isn't it? It's funny because I've been to the Aran Islands and biked across uh, the main island there, in fact. And when I did it, it was raining the entire time. And that's something that, you know, in Ireland, there's no shortage of, of rain. So it's interesting. They must have been there at the exact wrong time where there's a water shortage. What do you drink instead of water? So the whole island, no water, no tap water, no bottle water. What do people drink? You drink Guinness, man. Did they? I was going to say, do they go back to like the, the 1300s when people just drank wine instead of water? What's the next best thing for hydration? Gatorade? Uh, I mean, Got to imagine if there's a water shortage, the island isn't exactly swimming in Gatorade. No, no. But I mean, it's not like Ireland or even the Aran Islands are like, you know, places that are having a tough time keeping it together right now. It's a modern country. Right. Which is why it's surprised the entire island has a water shortage. But yeah, I'm just curious, like from a practical level, like you go to a restaurant, you sit down. It's like, no, we don't have any water, but we can get you what? What can they get you? I don't know. 
like what's like a like kool-aid is cool Kool- kool-aid is always very refreshing is that is that hydrating as well i think it's full of sugar so it's probably dehydrating well it's like uh you ask for sprite they don't have it they're like oh can you get uh, you want sierra mist instead like what's the what's the alternate what's the off brand for water i think in ireland it's just guinness it's got to just be guinness yeah sierra mist they still sell sierra mist is that still a thing i think so has anyone ever gone into a restaurant and asked for sierra mist instead of sprite like what's your favorite drink sierra mist anybody not that i've ever been with no okay so the air mist does still exist. Aaron Island sometimes has water shortages. Gatorade is the best replacement for water. Let's move on. My next story is from Dan Durant. He says, we had a flight on American Airlines at 6 a.m. from Boston to El Salvador connecting through Miami. The pilot on the flight to Miami comes on the intercom saying, we're having electrical problems. The computers that go from the engine to my control panel aren't working. Oh, a few minutes later, the pilot says, so we're going to have to shut the whole plane off for 10 seconds and reset it to get the computer working. Keep in mind, we have a five-year-old and a one-year-old that are now cranky as fuck. Anyway, I go to the bathroom, come out, and hear the flight attendants discussing how the water pressure is low. This message was relayed to the pilot, and someone had to come on board to check it out. Finally, the pilot comes back on and says, we're going to have to remain grounded for maintenance. And due to the holiday weekend, you all might have to stay for two to three days in the airport. Luckily, after sitting in the airport for two hours, there was another announcement saying the plane was finally fixed and we could reboard. My question to you, Tim, would you want to know every step of what's wrong with a plane or just remain ignorant? Because this pilot is a very transparent guy. Yeah, if I'm up in the air, probably not. But that kind of reminds me of this. I have a, a kind of funny flight story flying on, on Southwest from Denver to Orange County a uh, long time ago. We're lifting off. And as we took off, the plane kind of dipped a little bit. You know, it was like a natural thing, you know, but it just kind of dipped. And the pilot gets on the intercom and he goes, whoops. I kind of like that. And is that why you... Uh, previous episode you revealed that your biggest fear when flying is that the plane will take off and then immediately crash into a field after kind of nose diving is that why you think that'll happen that might be why it happened i don't know because it was it was a pronounced dip you know like it was more than usually happens when you you know the plane goes up and then it levels out and then it goes up more like it was a it almost felt like it was going down for like a second and then it caught back up yeah i don't know i it's, i don't the oops is funny would i want to know about every single electrical problem however minor that's going on in the plane probably not honestly no, because not not in the air it sounds no. like the water pressure issue was why the plane had to remain grounded not even the electrical panel thing so if they basically had said yeah like the electrical panel like the, the computer's not working uh we're, we're trying to get it fixed and then they just took off anyway the whole flight, I'd be thinking, well, what about the electrical panel? Like, what's going on? Like, any any turbulence, I'd be like, oh, shit, is it the computers? Is, the, is this a computer malfunction? I don't need to know that. Don't tell me. Keep me ignorant. Right. Like, I feel like if you're in a plane and it's going down, do you want to be, like, given updates every 30 seconds about, oh, we're at this altitude. Oh, now we're down to this altitude. No, we're now we're at this altitude. Probably not. And that's a good question. It's like, if your plane is going down, and assuming, I mean, I guess there are safety precautions you can take, 
but say you're going down in a field, you know, that you don't need, you don't need life jackets. There's nothing you can do. Do you want to know? Do you want to know from the pilot? Like, yeah, guys, we're going down. Uh, just so you know, like, yep, yeah, fuck that one up. My bad. Better luck next time. If there is a next time done, that's it. Or just silence. You're like, Hey, this something feels kind of not right. It feels like we're maybe going like descending in altitude pretty quick. And then within another second, you're all, you're all just dead. You think that's more palatable, a little easier transition to the afterlife. Or do you think, do you think that you want to know like 15 minutes in that you're anticipating like, like, okay, we're at 20,000. Now we're at 15,000. Now we're at 10,000. Oh, we're going to crash right there. People. That's where we're going to crash. Like that's where we're all going to die. Like, do you really want to know that? Probably not, honestly. Like, and, and what is the pilot going to say? Because I feel like if the pilot says something that rubs somebody the wrong way, people are just going to barge in. You know, like people's tempers are on, are on edge already when they fly. People are inherently nervous. You say something that rubs people the wrong way. Not everybody has a sense of humor when they're at 30,000 feet, especially when something's going wrong. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect anyone to have a sense of humor when the plane is going down. No. But do you have a duty to inform people what's going on if it's just going to incite panic? And I would t- tend to say, yeah, I think they probably would. They would give you some idea of what's happening. But I don't know if I'd want to know. I honestly don't. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this kind of all ties into like this big thing of the logistics of flying. Like there's probably no other industry in the world that has such complicated logistics. If something goes wrong, you're at 30,000 feet in the air. And if you have to like deter the plans or land in another airport to get somebody off or whatever, you're compromising the forward schedules of every single person on there, including the airline. It's an interesting phenomenon, and uh, we're glad that it worked out well for Dan. Um, Dan, by the way, has his own podcast. It's called the Erase the Chalk Podcast. Great sports insights, hilarious banter. Anyone who's interested in sports should check it out. Erase the Chalk Podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts. So moving on, Tim, you got one for me? Yeah, I got one, and this is a a story I was actually a part of, uh, though it's told through somebody else's lens here, so it's going to be kind of fun to read this. This was, I'll preface with a little bit of context. This story was submitted by my friend Brandon, who played in a band with me for many years, and we had a lot of crazy stories, but uh, this was one in particular from a a crazy night in in Western Colorado, actually, which is funny because I did not live here at that time. Isn't that the title of your autobiography, A Crazy Night in Western Colorado? It will be, yeah. Okay. The night started out well with plenty of drinking and setting up to play. I can't recall which band played first, but after we had all finished our sets, everyone was well intoxicated and going wild. There was literally people trying to hold each other upside down in the air so that they could dance on the ceiling. The lead singer from the the, the Braskies, which is the band from Arizona that we were playing with, and they'd become good friends of ours by that point. The lead singer from the Braskies, Joey, was straight edge, except for when his band played with ours. I couldn't tell if we were bad influences or just that awesome that we got a straight edge kid to get drunk with us. Joey had his own version of Fight Club, I guess you could say. He was pretty intense and liked bare knuckle boxing in a friendly way. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, but obviously if both participants were willing, he was ready to go. That night, our drummer Josh decided to take him up on the friendly match and gave it a go. Unfortunately for him, Joey was a bit more experienced despite his small stature. A bloody nose and a split lip later, Josh decided he should just stick with drumming. I'll interlude here to add a a caveat that after we got back from this trip, that the night we got back, we had a show in Denver where Josh's parents were. 
and he was 19 at the time. And I think his parents were like, what is our son getting into? Like he comes home from the road with a busted lip and a black eye. Okay. So by this point, everyone was rallied around and talking shit and Joey boxed a few others and undoubtedly won. That is until the new homeowner decided to break in the dining room where there wasn't even a table yet. His name was Tiny. Now think of every bouncer you've ever met named Tiny. Yeah, you get the picture. Joey started out strong, but after watching him land a few punches that made Tiny all but laugh, we all knew he was in trouble. Tiny decided it was time to take the belt, and with a few strong haymakers, Joey was out for the night. Since the night was pretty intense, everyone calmed down, and a few people went outside to smoke a cigarette. But this is where the most hilarious part of the night started. Their drummer, Reggie, was a very spirit and, and life of the party kind of guy. While standing outside, somehow the topic of streaking came up. And as someone was joking about doing it, Reggie was already completely naked running down the driveway. We all got a massive laugh from this, especially since Reggie was on his own and he had no other takers. That didn't stop him, though. He was off. Then he was in the house and he wanted hugs. I've never seen so many people scattering around, crashing into each other, and generally having a fun yet disturbing experience. I think he agreed to stop, but only if Joey gave him a hug. Now, I don't know what was louder, the bands that night or the rest of the cheering and laughter as Reggie stood there for at least two to three minutes convincing Joey to hug him. Reluctantly, Joey gave his new drummer a hug and everyone cheered, followed by some groans as well. That was definitely one of the most outrageous nights I can recall on tour. So yeah, basically, uh, that's a pretty typical typical night in a young young punk band's on the road situation. You get uh, some friendly boxing and some naked guys. So let me recap this just to make sure I understand. So this guy is straight edge, right? Doesn't drink. Doesn't... Joey is he's rel- he's relatively straight okay. edge, but when when they played with us, he would get drunk every time. And then he get he fights people. Yes, and then he fights people. And then the drummer loves to streak. And then hug people. Correct. You got that correct. Okay. Have you have you ever been in a fight? I've never been in a one-on-one fight. No. Have you been in a so all-out brawl? Yes, I was involved in a bar brawl when I worked at a bar uh, in Denver called the Border. For anybody that may have heard of it, uh, we were we were ransacked by the by the crowd. <laughs> there was like two hundred people in the bar, and probably five of us working at the bar. A couple security guards. And I don't remember exactly what triggered it. It might have been a last call. And I think it was when last call was called. There was basically a riot. And the entire patronage of this bar, it was a college bar at University of Denver, turned on the staff and started fighting everyone. And it spilled out into the street. And I was at one point trying to break up uh, two guys from fighting. And then I turned to walk away. And one of the guys ran up and clocked me in the face. And I, and I <laughs> fell over. Did you land any hits or no? Uh, no, I don't think so. The only other time I can think of that I, I did land hits was uh, on, I was on a no effects concert on New Year's Eve in Las Vegas, probably 10 years ago or so. And some guy was being a total dick in the mosh pit and was, you know, just being out of control. So several people started attacking him and I punched him a few times. To what effect? Probably not much. This dude was a much, <laughs> much bigger than me. So th- this brawl was started, or the ransacking, as you call it, by just calling last call. Lights come on, last call. Everyone's like, no, we're not done. We're not fucking leaving. 
Right. And this, the setting, you know, to paint a better picture, it was a, it's a college bar, like a nightclub kind of thing with a DJ and a dance floor. The vast majority of the clientele were underage in there with fake IDs. We had kind of this scam system going on where, you know, we would scan the ID, but it was actually everybody knew it was a fake ID and uh, then they would get in. But we're off the hook legally because we scan their ID into our system that says they're over 21. So the legal impetus is then on them. So, yeah, it was a is a bunch of people that are not old enough to know how to contain their alcohol. And, you know, 200 of them get together and you try to kick them out the door and it doesn't go real well. You kind of have to respect that, though, don't you, Tim? Like a little bit. Just they're, they're having such a good night. They're really enjoying themselves. The bar tries to shut them off and... They're like, no, we're still, we're still out here. We're still having fun. Not, not only are we going to begrudgingly drag ourselves out the door, we're going to fight back. You know, these, these are real patriots. Real patriots. Yeah. It, it could probably, this could have been called an insurrection, actually. It was an insurrection, a ransacking. Uh, I, I picture it as like, like one of those cowboy bars in like Nebraska in the 1800s. And there's ransacks when you tried to kick people out, tell them there was, was too much time to leave, time to go home. They're like, nope. Nope, we're not done. We're still at this saloon. Right. Yeah, that was a wild night. Okay. All right. I got another story. It's from Caitlin. She says, about two years ago, I moved to Colorado from Nebraska for a job at a university. At the time, I had been dating someone for about two years, and we agreed to part ways because he was planning to go to law school in Boston. After about six months of me living in Colorado... The guy decides he doesn't want to go to Boston after all, and instead wants to follow me to Colorado. I've moved on by this point and felt uncomfortable with him making a major life move just to be near me. So I told him, if you want to move to Colorado, move to Colorado, but don't do it for me. We can hang out and be friendly, but I don't want you having any expectations. He seemed on board with this and moved to Colorado literally two weeks later, probably about 15 minutes away from me. When he got here, he clearly wanted to get back together, which I guess shouldn't be a huge surprise. We did hang out a lot just as friends until one day he informed me that he decided to move back to Nebraska because clearly things weren't going to work out with us. So two months after he picked up his life and moved to Colorado, he moved right back. The reason, because our relationship clearly wasn't moving forward, which I told him very clearly from the beginning was going to be the case. Thoughts on that, Tim, moving moving somewhere just to be with someone or someone moving across the country to be with you? You know, the heart wants what the heart wants, but I think that moving for a significant other that you've had prior troubles with or drama with is generally a bad idea. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think... It's one thing to decide to split apart because you're you're both moving to different places and you have different you know goals in life. But then to move, if your life goals align with someone else's and that means you're going to be ending up in the same city, great, move there together. But if you already are on diverging life paths and then one person decides that they're going to put that on hold and make you their sole priority and move to a place, because not just come visit you, but move there because of you or to pursue you that to me is a huge 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 red flag and she and she obviously understood that because then they're not prioritizing their own career their own job their own goals they're making you their whole life in the center of their universe which is 
fine if you're already in a committed relationship or married, but you know, when you're in the stage that these guys are at, so this comes off as a little needy. Sorry, bud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got two, two well, one comment, and then I want to bring up a scenario. So the first comment is I would say in relation to what you just said about it being okay, you know, to base your life around somebody, if you're in a serious relationship, I would counter that and say that that's not true. I think that the reason that, you know, as someone that's married, the strength of our relationship is that we're both very independent and let each other do our thing. Uh, and, you know, we have our life together, but there's certainly not a constant woo, like need to depend on the other person for everything all the time. Hey, I think I think you're more qualified to talk about this than me. And everyone's relationship's different. Everyone, I think in some cases, it might make perfect sense to do that. You know, if you're already broken up, I think that says something about the relationship that it wouldn't stand the strain of distance in the first place. So you decide to part ways and then to try to rekindle that, not only to try, but to for one person to kind of forcefully rekindle it when the other was a little bit lukewarm on the idea, telling you specifically, do not move here for me, moves here for her, and then gets pissed when it doesn't work out. You know, that's kind of, you gotta have it coming, honestly. Yeah, you do. And so I, I'm curious, and I would love to know if this has happened because I'm sure it has, but I've never heard about it personally. So in the days of, in the age of social media, when you could pretty much look up everyone you've ever known in your life and figure out where they live and what they're doing, how, how would you parlay this situation to like, if you had an ex that you never quite got over or somebody that you've always had a crush on that you've never dated or been with before and they live somewhere and you find out about that and you then go there, Right just to kind of quote unquote, have a random encounter with this person, you know, so that, you know, you're like, Oh, fancy seeing you here. And then it's like super creepy, but they don't know that you just stalked them, but you did. And then you're like, then you have to be like, well, well, why don't we get coffee? You know, like I would love to hear a story of somebody doing that and actually making it work. Yeah, so you're talking about like moving to another country state, like distance, you know, because that's pretty extreme to move to another country. I don't know about another country, but maybe another town, at least a few hours away, you know, like one person is in this area and the other person has like moved on to a new place and a new chapter of their life. And then person A decides to just show up out of left field and just stalk the hell out of this person. But then it worked. I, I can see. I'm sure that's happened. Honestly, I could see I could see it working because in, in a weird, twisted way, it is romantic. It's also creepy, but but it could it's be hauntingly, romantic. It's hauntingly romantic. <laughs> it's like if it if it works out, it's romantic. But if it doesn't work out, it's just creepy as hell. Yeah, that, that's all about the history is written by the by the victors. That's a classic example of that. Right. Okay. And my last story for today comes from Anthony. He says, "My friend and I were on a road trip through Estonia." and we stopped for a night in Tallinn, the capital. When we went out to the bar, I noticed a guy acting a bit strange, wearing huge headphones at the bar, clearly enjoying his own music much more than the bar music, and holding a giant orange purse. Later on, the guy approaches me because he's looking for someone to smoke weed with. My gut told me there's something a little off about this guy, but I decided to smoke with him anyway because I had it the entire trip. And, you know, it's not always easy to get weed when you're abroad. We go outside the bar to an alley. He starts asking about my life, casually mentions that he's gay and that I'm not his type, 
which was, I'll admit, a little insulting, even though I'm straight. Anyway, we got along pretty well, which put me at ease because this took place during the Trump presidency, and I was concerned how Americans would be perceived by Europeans. My assumption was that Europeans would be mostly judgmental of U.S. politics and therefore also of its citizens. Then the convo took a surprising turn. He started talking about how Trump is the best thing that's ever happened to America, then proceeded to go on a tirade about how he's sick of all the immigrants they let into Estonia, specifically targeting people from Ghana and Muslims, blaming them for the rise in pedophilia. This blew my mind. Usually I like meeting new people with different viewpoints as it helps me expand my worldview and understand other cultures. I just never expected to meet a gay, racist, xenophobic Trump supporter in Estonia. I found an excuse to leave and my last memory of Tallinn is that guy smoking by himself in a dim alley, clutching his huge red purse. Wow. I mean, whoever wrote that really knows how to write a story. That was very well put together. I mean, hey, it goes to show you can never assume what someone from another culture will be like or what they'll think of you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It reminds me of a night I had in uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, where I was taking an Uber back to my hotel after a night out. And I was talking to the Uber driver about Trump. And most everyone I had encountered, you know, in Southeast Asia, you know, was against him. Uh, and this guy wasn't like necessarily a diehard supporter, but he certainly was like more pro-Trump than I had anticipated. And like he was trying to counter everything I was saying about why I think he's, you know, bad for America's image and bad for America's place in the world and this and that. And, uh, you know, I don't know that he, he, he didn't sound uneducated in his responses. Like he knew what he was talking about. Uh, and it, it showed me that like, you know, as well-spoken as Americans like to think they are on their own politics, Honestly, I think a lot of foreigners are just as good at uh, speaking about American politics as we are. Honestly, I think that foreigners are probably more qualified to talk about American politics than Americans are because they're not so emotionally and personally attached to it. I think the biggest problem with our politics is how is, is the emotionalization of it and how personal we take everything and how our identities are tied to our political leanings, whereas abroad, they are much more globally aware than we are. They know what's going on here and they can look at it from an outsider's perspective. So I think they really have a better grasp of reality than we do in a, in a lot of sense. It's funny because I, when I was doing my grad degree in Scotland, it's like 2016, right before the election, and everyone I would meet in Europe would tell me, oh, you're American, so do you hate Trump? Like, I'd be like, yeah, like I'm not, I don't support Trump. They'd be like, oh, like, like what, what, what do you think? Like, do you think he'll win? Do you think he'll win? Like, what do you think is going to happen? They were so obsessed with Trump and so obsessed with like how we could possibly be even considering letting him get even close to the presidency. And I came off as an idiot because I was always like, oh, no, no, he won't win. He won't win. Like, nah, he's just he's just like a this is a fad. Well, I I said the same thing every time that happened. But that and that in kind of engendered me toward thinking that all Europeans hate Trump. And that they all, like 99% of them, have this have the same view. That's what st struck me about this story so much is that, you know, I had th this guy being, you know, obviously you don't want to generalize. There's, you know, over 30 countries in Europe, but European and also gay, two things that would immediately lead you to believe 
guy probably doesn't support Trump. And then to imagine you're smoking weed with this guy and just drops it. He's like, you know, this xenophobic Trump supporter. Just not what you expect. Not what you expect. People can people can subvert your expectations in pretty interesting ways. Yep. Yep. That's true. So I think that as we wrap up this 40th episode extravaganza, uh, we should. it's a good time to reflect on the previous 39 episodes, all the crazy characters we've had on, all the things we've learned, all the... The people we've met. If you had to pick one, Tim, which episode is your favorite? Which guest resonated with you the most? Which episode, if a listener is just tuning in, would you advise them to go and check out? I would encourage people to go check out episode 10, which is called The Flight Attendant Breaks the Code of Silence. Our our guest on that episode was a woman named Betty, who has been a flight attendant for many, many years. And I think as we discussed on the episode itself, being a flight attendant is one of those jobs that everybody that's ever been on a plane has got to be curious about. Like, what is your life like? You're always flying around to different places and meeting random crazy people and dealing with situations up in the middle of the sky. Like that to me was the most eye-opening episode that we've done. Yeah, she was really, really interesting because people who work in jobs that you encounter as a traveler every day, but in front of which there is this veil of mystery, which I think flight attendants fit into that category, to lift that veil and to talk to someone who you're interacting with as a traveler all the time, but you don't really know what's going on behind that 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 curtain yep. is so interesting. And she had a lot of hilarious insights to share. So definitely check that one out, episode 10. Right. And another one, another one I would point you to on that would be episode 26, uh, Airport Etiquette 101 with the guy who might ruin your trip. I think... What we need to do, Evan, is just get more airline employees because airline employees are have some of the most fascinating stories. And they interact with people when they're at their worst. Yeah. So that's why we need a TSA guy. That's our next our next goal is to get a TSA guy on the show. Well, how about you, Evan? What's your favorite one? I'd probably have to say this is uh, not as old school as you, but we're going recent on this. Episode 38, Let There Be Red Light our interview with Mary, uh, an escort sex worker in Amsterdam. One I had been wanting to uh, record for quite a long time. I think it's one of our best episodes, if not our best episode, really shedding some light on the sex worker industry, the problems they're facing, how the industry works, uh, the perspective of sex work from the girls that actually do it. It's a, a subject a lot of us have always wondered about, even if you don't want to openly admit it to your friends. And she is extremely candid and holds nothing back in her analysis of her own industry and her critique of people who are trying to suppress it and the importance of what these girls actually do. Right. That was a fascinating one, too. It's The theme, I think, is that every time we have somebody on that completely blows our mind with something that we have no relation to or no concept of how it works... Those turn out to be like the most engaging episodes, I think. So whether it's episode 10, 38, 36, 2, 7, 12, doesn't matter. They're all great. Check them all out. Let us know what you think. Leave us a review on Apple or shoot us an email, noblackoutdatespod at gmail.com. Tell us your favorite travel story because we'll probably do another one of these at some point. Stay tuned for some exciting news coming down the pipe. We'll have some updates for you guys in the next few weeks, but it's all good stuff. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you all next week.